0: So we're going to start looking at the seven churches in Revelation, and I think that you'll find that this is a, uh, a very practical study. Uh, we think of Revelation as just speaking about end times, but this definitely will speak to us. The first church that we're going to look at, um, and I'm not going to treat them individually, uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this, but uh, this one definitely has a lot of... Uh, practicality for us. Uh, but the first church that we're going to look at is Ephesus. And it, uh, as I was looking at this, uh, at this church and the major issue with it, uh, I was reminded of a, uh, a little uh, meme that I was watching recently. And you may have seen this uh, online. Have you seen the, the little video where uh, the, uh, the, the parents bring their toddler to the grandparents' house? and grandma is right out there in front, right? Now, this happened multiple times, okay? Grandma's right out there in front. She kneels down, and the little toddler does what? Goes running right by grandma and jumps up up into grandpa's arms, right? And it's like multiple times. And, you know, the the grandmas are like... (laughs) You know, what's the deal here, man? Okay? These kids are just, you know, so brutally honest. And so it raises this question about what your greatest love is, what your first love is. So, kids, you can kind of answer this in your mind because I don't want you to uh, make one of your parents feel sad or something. But, uh, and, and maybe you're, you know, you're going to be uh, very balanced and, and say, you know, the same. But, you know, who do you love the most? So for most kids, your first love is probably your mom. You love your dad, but your first love is likely your mom. Now, that's not necessarily the case. Now all the parents are out there like, what are you doing? You want to split my kids or something? I want you to look at this idea of your first love, your greatest love, your highest priority, right? Um, hopefully, I mean, parents, you, you really try to love your kids equally, I'm sure, right? You don't uh, pour out more love. on Although, uh, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, rates his kids. No joke. He's got like, what does he have, like five kids, I think? But he's like, he rates them and he kind of makes them compete with one another. It's like, dude, you are absolutely rude. How does that even work? But see, the reality is, whether you want to admit it or not, you are likely inclined toward someone as your first love, right? Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, who should your first love be? It should be Jesus. It's absolute Okay, So as we look at this church in Ephesus, um, we're going to see that Jesus rebukes the church because he was no longer their first love. Let's take a look at this. Um, So in the interest of uh, spending less time today, I'm just going to focus on this one church. But I sent those of you all that are on Flocknote. And if you're not there, type, get your browser on your device and type Flocknote like a flock of sheep Note one word flocknote.lifewell.com. It'll take you there. If your number is already in there, you create a little login and then it'll, when you enter your, your phone number to be texted, unless you enter a different number, then it should put you right where you should be. And then you'll see all of these groups that you can check or uncheck that you want to belong to. Okay. But if you are in Flocknote, uh, I sent uh, a uh, a link this morning, if you will, to our website. And I let you know that I put a book of Revelation page on our website. Now, the only thing that's there right now is uh, this grid that I created Concerning the seven churches, which ladies, I didn't say anything about this, but you'll see uh, a picture of that uh, in the in the bin there. Um, it's more detail than I'm going to present this morning, but it's an opportunity for you to dig a, just a little bit deeper and to uh, you know maybe get yourself somewhat of, of an overview of these seven churches uh, that are there. But I sent you that link. If you click the Book of Revelation page, you'll see there are there are graphics that are there, but you can also Yeah, it looks like that. That's the the first uh, five, one, two, three, four, five. And then uh, the second, there's the other two, okay? So that's what it looks like. And you can download the PDF of that as well. So uh, that's if you're interested in that level of detail. But you'll see, go ahead and just leave that up there, that there's a form to these little letters, these little messages that are written. Jesus speaks the message to John. John writes the message down. John sends the message to the pastor teacher, the main pastor of that church, who relates it to, reads it to the church. That's kind of how that goes. But th- these words are directly from the Lord Jesus. So there's always, um, there is a, a, an identity or image of Christ that he presents himself as to that church. Then he recognizes them for something. He, some of them he rebukes. You can see Philadelphia right here. There's no rebuke. He warns or commands them. He commends them and then he presents promises to them. All right? So, with that in mind, let's take a look at this first one. Uh, this is uh, uh, Revelation 2 1 through 7 to the church at Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this: "I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people, and you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured on my count excuse me, endured on account of my name, and have not become weary. Wow. He shows a tremendous amount of recognition to this church, doesn't he? Look at all of these things that they're doing. But one little sentence. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So when he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, this would be very strange if Jesus is telling John to write to an actual angelic being. What you need to understand is that the Greek word for angel is angelos. And angelos means messenger. So when you hear the word angel, or you see the, the word in English, angel, we normally think of an angelic being from heaven that is sent and usually is a messenger. Think about during Christmas, right? What angel was sent to Mary to tell her she was going to bear Christ as her son? You remember his name? Gabriel. Gabriel. It was an actual angelic being named Gabriel. In fact, he was the same angel that appeared to Zechariah in the temple and told him that although he and his wife were too old to have children, they were indeed going to have a child. Well, Zechariah didn't believe him. He said, well, how am I going to know this is going to happen? He says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. So because you didn't believe me, then you're not going to be able to speak. And so he wasn't able to speak until his son was actually born. And uh, then when he confirmed that the child's name was to be John, and that's John the Baptist, by the way, then he could speak again. That's what we normally think of when we think of an angel. Right? But angelos just means a messenger. So right now, I'm being an angelos. I'm being a messenger to you. I'm relating a message from the scripture. I chose to focus on this one church and this message because I thought that that's what we needed to hear. I pray that that is, his, in fact, what the Lord wants you to hear. So I'm your messenger today. I'm trying to hear from the Lord, and I'm trying to receive the scripture, and I'm trying to deliver it to you. It's incumbent upon you, it's important for you, to pay attention to the Holy Spirit as he teaches Teaches you okay so um, again the message from Christ is written by John to the main pastor teacher of each congregation let's look at Ephesus just very quickly um, it was an important city religiously politically and economically uh, until ad 14 it had been the uh, the the, uh, the the capital of the province of Asia Minor. It hadn't been that for some time, but it was, this is something I didn't realize. And I, you know, I taught Ephesians, all this stuff, but I just looked at this today, Craig. Um, It was actually the third largest city in the empire. It had like 250,000 people living in it. Now that doesn't sound like a lot to us today. I mean, Garland has more people in it than that, but back then that was a lot of people. So, you know, the city with the most people in the empire would be what? Rome. Okay, And I didn't look at number two, but I would bet it's Corinth. Yep, it, that was a big city. Um, but it was an important city, is what I'm trying to say. Paul, the Apostle Paul, started the church there. And he spent two years of continuous teaching and preaching there, and a total of three years ministering to Ephesus. And during that time, the gospel went all over Asia Minor. Um, as a matter of fact... Uh, there is ladies in the, in the bin there. I've been putting this map up for Pastor Craig about the third missionary journey. And if while I'm speaking here, you can put that up there um, and then we can take a look at it. Yeah, there it is. So you see that big right in the middle, that big red where it says Asia, that's actually Asia minor. And that's not what we consider Asia today right? But this is this, uh, this province in the Roman Empire, All right? Now, in that same bin, there's another graphic. It's white, and it shows the seven churches uh, in that area. So this other graphic kind of zooms in And you can see the seven churches there. So here's Ephesus down here in the lower left-hand corner. Here's the Isle of Patmos, shows you how far out it is. That's where John was receiving revelation. And you can see that these seven churches are kind of in a circle and if you recall, last week when we saw the vision of Christ, when John saw the vision of Christ and related it to us, it says that Jesus was walking in the midst of these seven golden lampstands, each of which represents one of those seven churches. So here they all are in this circle with Ephesus down there on the coast, okay? So you can kind of get that in your mind, um, uh, Ephesus was also religiously very important because they claimed to have received uh, the, the image of Artemis, which fell from the sky. And they actually had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world there, which was the temple to Artemis, right? So now Jesus says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the seven stars, we are told, are the angels of the seven churches, okay? The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that, those are the seven churches. So this signifies that Christ has complete authority over every church. So I'm a, the, the senior pastor at this church. Pastor Craig is the teaching pastor at this church. But the person who is over this church is who? It's Jesus, He's the great shepherd, the good shepherd. He's the one that we're trying to pay attention to, right? We're just under shepherds. That's all I'm doing. I'm doing the job that he's called me to do with this community of people. But Jesus has all of the authority, okay? So um, Jesus, in fact, one of the last things he said while he was still on planet earth in a resurrected body was all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, right? That's um, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Right, So this is Christ, he holds the the messengers of those churches in his right hand. So what that says is that, that we're protected, we're safe, we're saved, but it also says that he can dispose of us as he wants, as he wills, as he chooses to. And in fact, we're going to find, and if you were paying attention to what I read just a moment ago, um, that this idea of him walking among the seven golden lampstands, he can just pluck one of those up and say, you have no more right to bear my light in the world, okay? Okay. Then he says, I know your deeds. So, this same statement, Jesus saying, I know your deeds, is repeated for Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Um, Thyatira and Philadelphia are commended for their works, Sardis and Laodicea are rebuked. In the case of Smyrna and Pergamum, persecution replaces recognition of their deeds. So, with these five churches, he says, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know your deeds. He knows your deeds, he knows your works, he knows what you're doing, he knows what you're thinking, he knows what other people don't know. So there's a church, and I hope we're not this church, but there's a church that we will mention and come to where he says, I know your works, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. What's your Christian reputation? Do you have a reputation for being alive? Do you have a reputation for living for God? Uh, What are your deeds, your visible works for the Lord? Those are the things that are on the outside. But Jesus consistently in his ministry on earth pointed out that it is what is in your heart that really truly matters. It's what motivates you. It's what moves you to do these things because we can have all sorts of uh, reasons for doing what we do. I mean, we've been here a long time. This year, this church with three different names and really three different congregations, if you want to know the truth, uh, has been in existence for 25 years. That's a while. We've been doing things for a long time. So those of us that have been here for a long time, we can just get in the groove, in the habit, and just kind of go with it, right? These are our people, right? These are our friends. These are our family. So we're just kind of here. We're just kind of going with it. But motive matters. That's what the Lord taught us throughout his ministry on earth. And really, that's what he's saying here. Okay? So I know your deeds, your labor and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil people, that you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. That's really interesting. They're still, this is an energetic church. They're moving forward right? They have good theology. They have good doctrine. Uh, They do apologetics. All of these things are important. Um, During Paul's last address to the elders of Ephesus, he warned them that wolves would come in and try to destroy the flock. Pastor Craig just treated this uh, in Acts. This is Acts 20, uh, 29 and 30. Well, these wolves were false teachers and they did indeed try to come in and destroy the flock and they destroyed a lot of other churches. These false teachers did. But years later, we see that Ephesus tested and rejected them. They had not given in and had not given up. However, there was a major problem. It wasn't showing on the outside, but they had become a loveless church. They were right, but they were dead right. They didn't show love for the Lord any longer. And it is possible they weren't showing much love for each other either. But I have this against you that you've left your first love. So Ephesus was orthodox, but they'd let their love for Jesus grow cold. As I said, they were they were right, but without love. And that is meaningless. This is what the apostle Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. This is uh, among the first verses there. 1 Corinthians 13, two and three. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, that means this is somebody that's willing to be martyred. But he said, if I have not love, it does me no good. That's what the apostle Paul said. So, What, in fact, did these people love? Perhaps they loved doctrine. They loved the Bible. They loved theology. They loved apologetics. Maybe they just loved being right. I know how that feels. I don't know if I love being right, but I like being right. I hate being wrong. I hate being proven wrong. I'm willing to adjust if I'm proven wrong, right? But I like being right. And you can fall in love with those things. Listen, the Bible's important. It's really important but the Bible can become an idol, believe it or not. Church is important, but the church can become, your church can become an idol, right? Anything that you do, when you elevate it to that level of worship, to that level of ultimate value, it becomes an idol. And honestly, what you put up there at the very top, that's what you genuinely love. Well, it is doubtful that these folks would, would have recognized uh, how far they had fallen apart from Christ's admonition here. In fact, I think they would have said, well, we love the Lord, right? Kind of like Peter. Remember when Jesus restored Peter, right? Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus meets with Peter and some of the other uh, disciples, uh, some, uh, uh, some of them apostles on the seashore. And he publicly restored Peter, Peter had denied him three times. What did Jesus ask Peter three times? Do you love me? Well, what did Peter respond all three times? Then what did Jesus say he needed to do? Feed my sheep, shepherd my lambs, watch over my sheep. If you love me, what? Obey me. Obey my commandments, right? So, I think, I'm hoping you're paying attention that perhaps the Lord is saying that to you today. Do you love me? No, not do you have certain feelings for me? Do you really love me? Am I top priority in your life? Or am I just another person? Is this just another activity for you? Or, yeah, so, you know, during the pandemic, we discovered that church is not what? Yeah, they were just saying church is not essential. You can stay home. You can go to the liquor store or the pot shop, but you can't go to church because church is not essential. And I think a lot of people just kind of took that and said, you know what? Church is really not essential. So they just don't go to church, okay? I'll tune in occasionally, maybe sometimes, we'll see, right? But once you get out of the habit of doing something, you tend to create a new habit, which is now I don't do that any longer, right? Now you're here, you're here and it's like 17 degrees outside. So I'm not trying to gripe at you and make you feel bad. But I am here to preach this word to you and ask you to evaluate who do you love? Who is your first love? Who is your greatest love, your highest priority, right? Or what is your greatest love or highest priority? So in fact, I think the people at Ephesus might've said something like this. We love our Lord, but it is not enough to just uh, think that they love the Lord. It's not enough to uh, love the Lord like other loves, but we need to love him first. All other loves are insignificant in comparison because one of Jesus' more difficult statements addresses this. Listen to this. This is Luke 14, 26 and 27. Jesus had a lot of people following him. He had a lot of people listening to him. They were enamored with him. They thought he was amazing. He was doing all these miracles, Right, He was putting the Pharisees down who were always riding on them and and making them feel bad. Jesus, when he was the most popular, said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is using what we call hyperbole here. Say hyperbole. That means you're, you're shooting way up here to make a point. He's not teaching you to, to hate your parents, kids, right? He's not teaching you to hate your kids, parents. He's not teaching you to hate your wife or hate your husband. What he's saying is your greatest loves on earth, your husband, your wife, your kids, need to be treated contemptibly if they even come close to the love that you are to have for me. Um, His intent is not to get us to hate our families, but to ensure that we love him far above all, all else. So much so that any earthly love could be considered hate when compared to the far surpassing love we have for our Lord Jesus. It is only when you love Jesus supremely that all other loves become clean and right. Anything else is idolatry, okay? If you wanna have a healthy relationship with your parents, love Jesus first, If you want to have a healthy relationship with your wife, love Jesus first. If you want to have the right relationship with your husband, don't make him an idol. Love Jesus first. If there's somebody in your life that seeks for you or seeks to have you make them number one, you need to let them know in no uncertain terms, Jesus is number one, amen? Jesus is my first love. And if you and your partner, you and your spouse, you and your kids love Jesus, then you'll have a healthy, clean, right relationship to one another. And further, something I learned a long time ago uh, from some other preacher, I guess, uh, when you look at the relationship that you have with your spouse, consider a triangle, okay? An equilateral triangle. You and your spouse are at the bottom of the triangle. Jesus is at the top of the triangle, equilateral triangle. Okay, what happens when you and your spouse move closer to Jesus? You get closer to each other. What happens when you move further away from Jesus? You're further away from each other. It seems to be a contradiction, but the most intimate being in the universe is a trinity of persons. What does trinity mean? Three persons, absolutely unified, And the only way you and your spouse are ever going to be as close, as intimate as you can possibly be is when Christ is in the middle of you and your spouse. And the two of you are bowing to him and loving him and putting him on the platform above yourselves, right? So what you love above all else is what you in fact worship. You can desire or become obsessed with just about anything or anyone, at which point your desire replaces Christ as your greatest love. One danger in studying the book of Revelation is that you become obsessed with Bible prophecy. That could be a danger. And then you miss the point of the prophecy, which is Christ. Um, in fact, Revelation itself says, in Revelation nineteen ten, an angel speaks to John and says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is all about Jesus. So once again, What or who is your first love? If it's not Jesus, then a radical reorientation of your priorities is necessary. And how beautiful we are that in a place we are that it is only the second Sunday of the new year and you can start with new priorities today. So uh, I have uh, an application in conclusion that relates to what the Lord Jesus told uh, the people of Ephesus to do. And this is where those notes will come in, ladies. Um, Jesus said, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So one thing you need to understand is that Jesus is talking to Christians here. He's talking to dedicated Christians here. He's not talking to nominal Christians. That means in name only. He's not talking to people who haven't decided to put their faith in Jesus yet. In other words, he's talking to probably everybody in this room, right? Again, you're here and it's 17 degrees outside. It would seem to me you're a pretty dedicated Christian. I mean, we got people that were here at, you know, eight o'clock this morning rehearsing so that you could have this wonderful. These are dedicated people. But see, that doesn't mean that we're right in our heart when it concerns our love, right? So what did, what did Jesus say here? He said, number one, remember. Remember where you fell away. When was the last time you felt and lived heartfelt love for Jesus, right? So it's not just a feeling, but love that has no feeling, I'm not really sure that that's love. Then he said, repent. Repent means to turn back, right? To make a 180 and go back to that place, not in time. You can't go back in time, right? I was thinking about that recently. You know, I was looking at different times of my life and impressions that people and and things that I went through made and how those impressions have still had a lasting impact on me, whether positive or negative. Right? But I can't go back there. I can't go back in time and fix that. I can't go back in time and change those things, right? That's why we didn't do a retrospective on the 31st, which, you know, would have been a great time to look back at 2023. I don't look back. I want to look forward. I want to go where God's leading me, man. I want to keep my eyes up ahead. but you can go back to that place in your heart that you left, okay? No matter how far away you've gotten from God, if you ever had a relationship with Jesus, you can go back to that place. What did you do or what happened to you that caused you to begin to turn away? So repent means to return to that place and cry out to the Lord for revival. Friends, I told you guys last week, Re- life well is in need of revival. The church in the United States of America is in need of revival. The church in most places of the world is in need of a revival. Well, that means we need to be brought back to life. We've died on the, on the vine, man. All right? That's, uh, you know, Wednesday's teaching from uh, John's Gospel, right? Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, then ask whatever you will that will be done for you. But he said, if you don't abide in me, then you're going to be like a, uh, a branch that will be cut off and it will dry out and they'll bundle them up and they'll throw them into the fire, right? So if you abide in him and he abides in you, then anything is possible for you. So remember, repent, and then renew your commitment to Jesus. You can do that today, now, I'm not going to make an emotional appeal and have you come running down the aisle and expect you to bawl your eyes out here at the, at the altar. But man, if you were paying attention to what I said on the 31st coming out of Joel, if you read Joel chapter 2, the thing that caused God to draw back and not let those locusts utterly destroy Israel's crops is the people repented. They tore their garments, they fasted, they cried out to the Lord. And it may be that you've just got some junk in your life and you really need to look hard at that and say, Lord, I want this out. This is replacing you as a love for my life. This obsession that I have, this addiction that I have, this desire, this overwhelming desire that I have is replacing you. It needs to be dethroned. It needs to be put on the altar and let the Lord incinerate incinerate it with his holy fire repent, renew, um, and then receive, receive Jesus' love for you. This isn't just about you striving to get it right. Jesus said, love one another, even as what? I have loved you. You've got to receive his love if you're going to be able to love. And you may be in a loveless place right now. You may feel overwhelmed and underappreciated and you need to let the Lord wrap his arm around you, man. You need to let him draw you close and say, whisper in your ear, I love you. I love you. Do you love me? And that's all he wants back. He wants your love in return. And then restore your life to a place of consistent obedience to Christ's command to love. Love is a choice. It is a commitment. Love results in action. Once again, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. What is the ultimatum? This isn't optional. Hey guys, man, I love you. Can can you just love me back? Hey, I'm Jesus. I, I, I died on the cross for you. Do you love me? I love you. This is not an option. This is not emotional. There's an ultimatum here. What's the ultimatum? He says, you will be, I will remove you. I will remove, I will remove you from your right to bear the light. Our church's ministry, Lifewell Church's ministry can be taken away. Your privilege of ministering can be removed. Maybe you're weary, you're burned out, you're doubting. I mean, the Ephesians weren't, but you might be. But I assure you, when the Lord removes your right to serve, you're gonna also fall away from faith into a pit of despair. I gotta tell you something if the Lord had not continued to use me throughout the years in this church, I think my faith would be pretty miserable, right? I don't think I would have fallen away, but you need to learn that you have been created in a specific way to serve the Lord Jesus, not to sit, but to serve, amen? And when you exercise that gift, then you will find that although it's exhausting sometimes, although you may feel underappreciated, it is what keeps you going. When you just become selfish, you turn to yourself, you do your own thing, you spend your own time on Sunday or whenever, then you're gonna find that you just fall away from faith. And eventually, you're gonna look back and say, you know what, I don't even know that I need that anymore. I see that with people. I see that even with people that are in church. They just go for a ways and they go and they go and they go. And pretty soon they're just like, you know what? I don't need this. That's because they left Jesus behind a long time ago. They're just going on fumes, man. You know, your, your car will go for a while on fumes. But eventually when you're out of gas, you're out of gas and you're just going to stop. Right? And then you're just going to be dead in the water. So that's his rebuke that you'll be removed. And I don't ever want to get to that place. Right? And then he, he ends his, his talk with the, the, the Ephesians by telling them that uh, he, they, he appreciates that they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. We don't know what that is. It was a heretical group. That's all we know. Everything else is speculation. There's a lot of heresy going around today. There's a lot of unbiblical, a lot of, many unbiblical viewpoints concerning Jesus today. And you need to run away from those as fast as you can. The Lord appreciates it when you have a pure faith. And then he finally he concludes the one who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Jesus said that plenty of times during his earthly ministry. If you have ears to hear, then listen, then hear. And it means basically if you can hear me, listen. Pay attention to what I'm telling you Jesus is saying. So listen while you still have the ability the more of God's word you hear but fail to heed, the less you're gonna be able to hear in the future. In the end, spiritual leakage will leave you without any faith or truth. What did Jesus say in Luke eight eighteen? He said, take care how you listen. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. That's revelation. That's a word from God. If you're receiving the word, God will give you more, right? But, Whoever does not have even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. In contrast to this is the one who pays attention and grows in faith. The Lord will reveal more of his truth and more of himself when you do. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So even though I've been making individual or personal application here, the Holy Spirit is speaking to local churches, not scattered individuals. You and I are called out and called together to be a local church bearing the light for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is speaking to lifeful Church today. Today. If you're part of us, then he's speaking to you today, and I pray that you pay attention. And finally, he says to the one who overcomes, that's repeated at the conclusion of every message to these seven churches. We have to overcome the world and the flesh and the devil in order to receive what Christ promises. It is those who endure to the end who will be saved. I quoted that to you last week. Uh, that's Matthew twenty-four thirteen. That's Jesus speaking. And then we have this, and I posted this recently. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may, received, may receive what was promised. So Christ made overcoming the world possible. We don't do it on our own. He won the ultimate victory over sin and death and the devil. But in all these things, we what? We overwhelmingly conquer or overwhelmingly overcome Through him, him who loved us. And we don't do this alone. It is by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that you will be encouraged and equipped and overcome the world. Finish the sentence Greater is he who is in you than who is he that is in you. That's that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit bringing Christ into you. That's how you overcome right? You got to get your eyes off of all this, destruction, 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 all of these alternate views and opinions and values and my truth and all of that, and focus in on the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. And the final promise here, I will grant those who overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, I will overcome, uh, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So eternal life, is the ultimate gift. Think about the Garden of Eden. Why were Adam and Eve cast out of the garden? They sinned, but why were they cast out of the garden? So they would not be able to eat from the tree of life and live forever in that fallen state. It was actually an act of mercy. Certainly it was a curse, right? Because they could have stayed there, eaten the fruit. There will be a tree of life in heaven, in the holy city, So what God is offering as the reward is eternal life, not just everlasting life like you have now, but eternal life, God quality life in his presence. That's what we're looking forward to, friends. That's what he promises. But you've got to overcome. You can't be overcome by the world. So in conclusion, who do you love? I invite you, if you have ever loved Jesus, return to your first love. Let him be your first love. Make him your first love. And if you have never come to that place where you've put your faith in Jesus, do that now. Just call out to him in prayer. Tell him that you believe in him. Give him your life. The scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's the Lord. He's the one that's the boss. He's the one that's in charge. Let him be Lord of your life.